December 31, 1989. Episode 10. George C. and Alice M. Grant. PEC's Power Pair. The power of grassroots activism rests in the strength of commitment represented by ordinary folks. The passion of that commitment fuels the demands for change. Yet, If that passion is not organized, if it is not structured, that passion of the grassroots can wither and the energy it represents dissipate. From the earliest days of the Association to Preserve the Eatonville Community, George Grant was a key strategist in how our new organization presented itself to the public. I remember vividly how he made the case for the language we should use in describing who we were. He said, the Association to Preserve the Eatonville Community supported the opposition to the five-laning of East Kennedy Boulevard from Wymore Road east to U.S. 1792. He reminded us that we needed to be positive in our opposition. Additionally, PEC wanted to preserve the Eatonville Community a positive expression of a long-term objective. You may recall, dear listener, that it was he who was the face of the Rollins College support expressed by the college's president, Dr. Thaddeus Seymour. As PEC began planning for the first annual Zoringer Hurston Festival of the Arts, Dr. Grant mentioned that his wife, Alice, could probably be helpful in the preparation of grants, which he identified as a strong source of funding for our event. Following up on his statement, offered with no bravado, specifically, he did not mention that, in fact, before her bout with a life-altering illness, which had left her flat on her back, with a doctor's comment that she likely would never walk again, that she had served as the associate dean of the college at Coppin State University. No, he had not mentioned that to me, so only in my reaching out to her would I find out that as a couple, Alice Margarita Morgan Grant and George Calvin Grant, with their individual backgrounds and education experiences, were to serve as a formidable foundation for PEC's preparation for this national event. Before going further, I need to thank Alice Grant for speaking with me about her and George Grant's family stories and their life together up until the time that she and her husband and I came to know each other and began to work together on behalf of PEC. George and Alice Grant both were born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, he in 1939, she in 1942. Though they would know of one another through their Baptist church community, they would not truly connect until she attended Spelman College and he attended Morehouse College, both located in Atlanta. Now, this next statement is my personal estimation of these two undergraduate students. They were, in the parlance of today, nerds. Alice Morgan was her class's valedictorian, which meant that of her 122 graduating classmates, she had the highest class average over her high school career, which also meant that she had to love books. She was able to receive a scholarship to Spelman College, a school she'd never heard of, 
because of three Spelman graduates who played a mentoring role in her early life. Mrs. Lillian Campbell, Mrs. Juanita Brinkley, and Mrs. Beulah Williams, all educators in the segregated Memphis school system. George Grant was also a book person who would receive a scholarship facilitated by two Morehouse graduates, Mr. William Jones and Dr. Fred Lofton. His book relationship had stemmed from his mentorship from Mr. William Jones, the librarian at Lemoyne Junior College. As Alice Grant recounts, George Grant worked the desk at the Morehouse College Library, where he quickly earned a reputation for going the extra mile to assist a library user. The library at Morehouse operated on a closed stack system, which meant that the user searched the card catalog, took the request to the desk, and the worker then went to the stacks to bring back the material. Even if the material being sought was not available, Grant would take the extra time to identify something he thought might be of use to the patron. While at college, they both were involved in the civil rights movement, she in a more quiet way than he. At Spelman, the college secured written permission from parents indicating in what civil rights activities their daughter could participate. Alice had permission to attend rallies. She could not picket, nor could she march. But she could and would be a part of the support cohort. She would make flyers, make sandwiches, be a part of the operational backbone. George Grant, on the other hand, had a front row seat to the movement. As for two years, he lived in the home of Morehouse president, Dr. Benjamin Mays, a lion of the civil rights movement. His contributions to the movement have had him credited as, quote, the movement's intellectual conscience. A historian, Lawrence Carter, described Mays as, quote, one of the most significant figures in American history. Memorials include hundreds of streets, buildings, statutes, awards, scholarships, and grants, and fellowships named in his honor. Again, as recounted by Alice Grant, though he had received a scholarship, George Grant still needed a job. He had been directed to Dr. Benjamin Mays. All day he had waited for the Morehouse president on the porch of his home. When Dr. Mays arrived, he explained his situation, whereupon Dr. Mays invited him in, and that's where he lived for the next two years, working as one of two, quote-unquote, houseboys. His duties were whatever was required, including Dr. Mays, wherever he needed to go, which also meant that, indeed, he had a front-row seat being present with Dr. Mays as he interacted with civil rights leaders of the 1960s. George and Alice Grant married in 1963, and by 1987-1988, they had already raised and educated two children, had lived and worked in Tennessee, Illinois, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., and Baltimore, and had each established careers which included successive advancement. Yes, they were PECs, power pair. Yet, as she had determined she would walk again, unrelenting in her resolve to undergo the physical therapy which would demand she retrain her body, it was that same resolve that would be so critical 
as she and I prepared our first grant application to what was then called the Florida Council for the Humanities, now known as the Florida Humanities Council. In working with PEC, I had learned to find out from individual volunteers the family boundaries I needed to observe. For example, when were meal times, how early or late was it permissible for me to call, how to respect other family obligations. For example, George Grant had told me I could call him at home as early as 7 a.m. or 7.30. Alice Grant was also accommodating, and oftentimes I actually went to their home to work with her. I hasten to remind you, dear listener, that in 1988, we are still very much grounded in the IBM Selectric as a technology du jour. So when I say that I would go to their home to work, that meant literally I might be sitting by her side as she was typing. Such was the case in late spring of 1988 as we prepared the Florida Council for the Humanities grant application, which contained many forms and required lots of narrative writing, which was fine since in my former life I had been a university librarian and currently I was teaching expository writing at Valencia Community College. However, however, the Grants were expecting their elder daughter, Janine, to come for a visit, so I was intent to make my exit well before she was scheduled to arrive. Now in the grant submission business, dear listener, Deadlines are fixed. You miss a deadline, automatically your application is disqualified. So that being the case, you will understand why Alice Grant and I had to keep on working and why, though we would have preferred it otherwise, that when her daughter Janine and her beau graced the door, they found her mom and me sitting intently side by side while her mom clicked on those typewriter keys. This was just one instance where one or both of the grants, PEC's power pair, contributed to the success of the first annual Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts. End of episode 10. You've been listening to An Eatonville Saga. Executive Producer, The Association to Preserve the Eatonville Community, Inc. Podcast Concept and Storyteller, NY Theory, Eatonville Native and Executive Director of The Association to Preserve the Eatonville Community, Inc., P.E.C. Produced and directed by Ken Moore. 2020 Copyright by The Association to Preserve the Eatonville Community, Inc. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening. If you would like to support our podcast by giving, you can give to PEC at www.give2pec.org. That's www.give2pec.org.